Good evening, folks. I'm excited that we have this opportunity to come together and intentionally move towards the future we dream of. My name, in case you don't recognize me, is Glenn, and I'm proud to be a part of the leadership team here. We are a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. A community that is rooted, a community that is reduced to love, and one which is reimagining faith together. If you saw our graphic in social media, then you know that we're beginning a new series tonight, Apest. Although it may have looked like ape shit, and that was intentional. This intentional gaffe helps us frame the chaotic experience of moving from a single authority to multiple voices, from a strict monarch's rule to polycentric leadership, from a production line which values end products to a process which invests in development of people. This movement echoes the wisdom of the poet Trista Mater, who said, We thrive best like gardens, not singular plants in lonely pots. The act of moving to group voice is the act of having our roots grow together so that we become the garden flourishing. It also gives call to the challenge of Ephesians 4 as understood in the book that we want to go through together, Church's Movement, that says the Voices represented in Ephesians 4 represent a thriving whole community. So let's look at Ephesians 4. It was he, Jesus, who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person, Attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, as each one does its part, the body grows in love. In Ephesians, we see a collection of voices leading, a council of people creating the tension needed for a living and active faith. And we can recognize without the apostle, we'll have ideas and dreams, but lack a catalyst and become stagnant. Because the apostle catalyzes and co-missions, they start new works and empower others to carry it forward. Without the prophet, we move with an ancient but not future faith and are content with old meanings. Because the prophet exists to expose and embody, they expose false claims to power and embody a new counter story, a new way to live into. Without the evangelist, we have a people but forget to expand. We become a closed, comfortable community. Because the evangelist excites and invites, gets excited about the new moves, the new story, the new adventure, and invites others into it. Without the shepherd, we move quickly, burn out suddenly, and forget that health is as important as progress. Because the shepherd exists to guard and to guide, they protect the community while walking alongside the people. And without the teacher, we have all the answers and forget how to ask better questions. We have catchphrases, but no roots. For the, teacher, for the teacher learns in order to interpret and inform. They give themselves to the act of gathering information to help people develop their way of seeing. So the teacher gives weight, the shepherd pursues health, the evangelist gathers people, while the apostle moves us forward and the prophet gives ancient words fresh meaning that calls us back to a radical humanity for the purpose of embracing new possibilities. 
This will lead us into the same tensions that we witness in the first generation of believers in the Bible. Acts 20.22 notes that Paul, being compelled by the Spirit, is going to Jerusalem. But on his journey to Jerusalem, he stops in Tyre, where he searches out some apostles who have a known prophet with them. It says that the Spirit had the disciples tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul replies, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because he could not be persuaded, the disciples said no more except the Lord's will be done. The drive of the apostle to move forward and enter Jerusalem came into conflict with the inside of the prophet that saw what was going to lay ahead of him. Neither could agree with the other of the best path forward. So they said no more and defaulted to community rather than factioning into right groups. As we move forward, we want to keep this at the front of our minds. We will default to holding space open for each other. So today, as we look at the role of a prophet throughout the Bible, we're not going to be sitting in one passage as we normally do, but moving from Ephesians that says prophet is a needed part of a living and vibrant community, we'll take a 30,000 foot overview of the Bible to witness how the prophet's voice has changed the story of God's people. My hope is that some of us will resonate with the prophet's voice and see a place for their gift to be added to our community. The gift of the prophetic voice is that it creates the possibility of a new future by offering us an impossible reading. So the first one we want to consider comes in 2 Samuel 11:26 to 12 where the prophet Nathan has to speak to the king. At this time, David had taken the wife of Uriah, who he had killed because he thought Bathsheba was so beautiful that he had to possess her. And when the time for mourning had passed because he had Uriah killed, when he could finally take hold of what he wanted, it said the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to David, Nathan said there was two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save for a little lamb he had acquired. He raised it. It grew up alongside him and his children. It used to eat his food, drink from his cup, and sleep in his arms. It was just like a daughter to him. When a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he did not want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who would come to visit him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and cooked it for the man who had come to visit David became exceedingly angry at this man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he committed this cold-hearted crime. Nathan responded, You are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I chose you to be king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hands of Saul, but it was not enough for you. Reflecting on the movement of Nathan here, the prophetic voice, as king, David saw himself above the people, especially a non-Jewish soldier. Even though Uriah would be one of his mighty men, one of his chosen soldiers, since he was not one of the people of Israel, David saw him as someone to consume and property he could take as right of king. David saw a beautiful object in Bathsheba, so he took her. This was the way of things. Everything in the land belongs to the person with power. 
Nathan witnesses the injustice, points to a radical humanity that places the king and soldiers equal, demands a response from the king, and this act is called speaking truth to power. Because Nathan offered the impossible reading, said power and access do not define everything, called David back to seeing the humanity of his soldier. Going, jumping to the book of Numbers, we see Balaam, who is called to do a sacrifice and to invoke God for the king of Moab. Now, Balaam sets up seven altars and he goes and he says, I must say the words which God speaks to me. And says he uttered an oracle saying, Balak, the king of Moab, brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east saying, come, pronounce a curse on Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse one whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce one whom the Lord has not denounced? For the top of the rocks I see them, from the hills I watch them. Indeed, a nation that lives alone and will not be reckoned among the nations, who can count the dust of Jacob, or number the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the upright, and let the end of my life be like theirs. Then Balaam further says, I cannot say anything which the Lord has not put into my mouth. Now the interesting part here is it point to the prophet doesn't necessarily come from us. Balaam was not part of the chosen people. He was not Jewish. He was from the land that already inhabited where Israel is hoping to occupy. But in verse 12, it actually uses the name Yahweh, the chosen name of Israel's God, where Balaam says, I cannot speak a word that Yahweh has not put in my mouth. I cannot speak a word that the God of Israel has not told me. So the prophetic voice does not mean one of our own, but one who reveals what God is doing. For he could see, he could announce, and he could reveal the God who had rescued Israel from Egypt is going to be the God who settles Israel in this land. But it is important to note that Balaam was not theirs. He was not one of us. His wisdom and insight came from outside the community, still revealing the purpose of God. And then jumping forward, we see in Acts, the same passage that we started with. After we located the disciples, we stayed there seven days. They repeatedly told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. He, a local leader, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. While we remained there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied it around his hands and feet, and said, The Holy Spirit says this, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because he could not be persuaded, we said no more, except the Lord's will be done. Returning to the first story we started tonight with, they told Paul through the Spirit, but we also heard Paul was compelled by the Spirit. So the prophetic voice spoke the individual within the community listened, and the person it was revealing, Paul, had to make a choice. Hearing from God did not become a trump card. 
It did not end the conversation. It was not an absolute authoritative move. It reopened the dialogue. Ending at a different position by the very voice of God for Paul and for the prophet speaking to him. The prophet stayed with the people. Because it can be common when our voice is not heard, when we don't have it resonate back, even though that we feel passionately we've heard from God, that we denounce the group we're in, finding isolation because their voice from God was not final. Yet, we see within this passage that the prophetic voice was rooted in and found value by adding to the community discussion, not dictating. So looking over what we've read, we see the prophetic voice calls us towards an impossible reading, one that can speak truth to power, one that can say how we've been is not the way we have to be. That the impossible reading sees beyond the possible, the literal, the predictable natural flow of cause and effect to embrace a radical humanity found in a kingdom with everyone present. And the impossible gives new meaning. But with every gift, there's a shadow side. So as we move from the tact into riffing, we will consider the mature and the immature potential of a prophet. So if you wanted to keep notes, point one, the mature prophet calls us out of apathy and into a living faith. As Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, pursue love and be eager for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And towards the end of that section, it says the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And if all prophesy an unbeliever or uninformed person enters, he'll be convicted by all. He'll be called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and in this way he will fall down his face to the ground and worship God, declaring God is really among you. So we see that Paul says the mature prophet pursues love and speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So it's not about the one disclosing, it's about the positive effect and ability to call change to the ones they're speaking to. It goes so far that to, to say to experience this act of strengthening, encouraging, consolation can reveal the secrets of the hearts that are hearing. It reveals the God who is already present. And we notice the mature prophet moves from love to empower a people Revealing God, which moves us into action. And then the dark side. So it'd be point two. An immature prophet hasn't processed their own trauma, and their pain keeps them critiquing outside of or without community. They're, but their gift for edifying from within the community. Yeah, we'll say that again because that was clumsy. An immature prophet hasn't processed their own trauma, and their pain keeps them critiquing outside or without community, rather than their gift being used to edify from within community. Like we saw last week when we discussed Jonah 4. Jonah was harmed because he would be a prophet of the northern kingdom that got raided by Assyria, which would be represented in the city of Nineveh that he was called to go speak to. 
going there and seeing that they responded well because he spoke, it empowered, it encouraged, it consoled. And they responded and said, the God that you represent will be the one that we can worship and said there was a fast and repentance spread through the city. Jonah, being unprocessed in his trauma, only wanted to see destruction. So if we step into his story in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, it said, Their repentance, so God relenting, displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, one who relents concerning threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. The Lord said, Are you really so very angry? Because we see that prophetic insight isn't enough. Knowledge of God's mercy without processing your traumatic experiences moved Jonah away from people. The unprocessed prophetic voice desires to break rather than reform, to watch things burn rather than repent, celebrating a hoped-for comeuppance rather than a compassionate bring back to community. And the challenge from God was God asking him to grow in compassion and empathy. Now, speaking for myself, I do not identify with the prophetic voice. However, my life has been deeply and positively affected by it. Getting to know some of the people here, I've been privileged to hear your stories and, and become inspired as I witnessed you moving from immature prophets set against the people to mature prophets calling us into a new living reality. What does it look like for us to step into a reality where the prophetic voice, the one calling us back to a radical humanity, can be heard well? If you have resonated with the voice of the prophet, if you find yourself aligning with the forgotten and overlooked, if you see the ineffable, almost real new reality rooted and centered on Jesus, then the next step is to join the fray by adding your voice, your gift to the community, whether it is here with Fos Church, your home, or at work, teaching us how to hear the impossible reading and hope for the ancient future faith of the kingdom to come.